You know one scene of comedy that cracks me up every single time I see it? It's a scene from the 1952 MGM musical comedy, Singing in the Rain. In the scene, Donald O'Connor uses the song and his gifts of physical comedy and dance and everything to not just entertain us, but to explain how to make an audience laugh. The song's title is Make Em Laugh. So, how do you get an audience to laugh? How has that changed over the years? Let's peek behind the curtain and see what makes comedy work on this shorter episode of And Now the Movie. Welcome back to End Now the Movie. I hope you're doing well. It's officially springtime now, and there's no better time to talk about happy things like comedies. So what makes a movie funny? How do you know when a movie is trying too hard? The nice thing about art is that art is a deeply personal and subjective experience. Even if the artist had one intention, every single audience member could have an entirely unique experience completely different from the next. Now I know... Sometimes you don't want something that could be considered high art. But to me, every single movie is art. I don't care if you're sitting down to watch Citizen Kane or American Pie. Movies are the ultimate art form. They blend every other element of art that came before and throw it all into one presentation. You have music composition and performance... Uh, there's architecture and in set design, uh, there's carpentry and all the other craftsman types that people consider an art. That's all there. Uh, you have creative writing, obviously, and drawing uh, with concept art and storyboards and map paintings, even if they're digital now because you have modern tools, these digital tools that are just doing the same basic idea that came before. Now, obviously, the actors can be linked back to Shakespeare and even before that, Greek tragedies and everything else. And we all know that acting is a performance art. And yes, stand-up and improvisational comedy are also featured in the movies. And yes, those are art. I bet you thought I'd never get to the point, though, going on that tangent of all the, <laughs> the high art stuff. But anyway, the reason I bring up stand-up and improv is because you can find these elements throughout cinema. A famous comedic example of an improv moment can be seen in Stanley Kubrick's Dr. Strangelove, where Peter Sellers, he plays multiple roles in the movie, but one of them is this wheelchair-bound ex-Nazi scientist kind of crazy guy, and uh, he delivers his famous Mein Führer, I Can Walk line right at the end of the movie after he gets so energized in his performance that he jumps out of the wheelchair. Um... He wasn't supposed to do that, allegedly, but he saves it with that line. Comes completely out of nowhere that it's some miracle that this guy that's been in the wheelchair all this time can actually walk. It's hilarious. 
But it fits in with the absurdity of the rest of the movie, so it's not completely out of place. Peter Sellers was a very, very intelligent actor. He always knew what timing would work when, at least so it seems. This is just one tiny example of improv in classic film. Uh, Many lines of famous dialogue, or even actions, were ad-libbed or improvised on the spot. Not all of them were played for laughs. Two examples could be some of Humphrey Bogart's lines from either Casablanca or the Maltese Falcon, or even the moment when Charlton Heston kicks a certain piece of pottery around for Cecil B. DeMille. Uh, and I'll talk more about that in a couple episodes. Many more modern examples of improv and ad-lib can be found just about everywhere, too. But I want to focus on the comedic uses of these techniques today. Just how do you know when to use these things? From my experience, it comes down to great timing on behalf of the performer and the decisions of the director and the editor in post-production. Sometimes a moment that played horribly on set ends up being just the thing the final cut needs, and vice versa. I recently rewatched both of the Airplane movies. Do you remember those from the 80s? These have always been comedy favorites of mine, not so much because they are what could be considered great cinema or high art, But every time I watch them, I crack up without fail. Jim Abrahams and the Zucker Brothers use a style of comedy that frankly became stale in later movies. And uh, that was basically just throw as many jokes as you can in silly situations as you can at the audience and uh, hope for the best. It mostly worked in their very first attempt at this too, which was Kentucky Fried Movie. Um, But the very first airplane, to me, is where they created a classic. And of course... This started the whole parody movie craze that we still see today, and you can find a lot of these films in the more obscure corners of Netflix or Amazon Prime Video. A lot of these movies featured Leslie Nielsen, who I love, and think, you know, the Naked Gun series or uh, Spy Hard or any of those. Charlie Sheen is also no stranger to the comedy subgenre, with starring roles in the likes of Hot Shots, Hot Shots Part 2, and uh, a couple of those scary movie movies. These sorts of silly gag-filled comedies can also thank the likes of Peter Sellers, Bob Hope, Abbott and Costello, Charlie Chaplin, Laurel and Hardy, Buster Keaton, and and so many others from yesteryear who pioneered the arts of slapstick and situational comedy, which, I might add, also heavily influenced the television sitcom. Sitcom being short for, of course, situational comedy. Even children's cartoons from Daffy Duck to Spongebob employ various comedic styles that have come before. Now this leads me to the next set of movies I recently sat down to rewatch. Be right back to talk about those. My wife wanted to watch something really dumb. Not because she is dumb, but because she wanted to laugh at a bunch of idiot people making idiot decisions. So naturally, I introduced her to... The modern stoner genius that is Seth Rogen. And his so-called stoner comedies and other so-called stoner comedies have been around for a very long time. You can trace back through the likes of Bill and Ted, though arguably they're just airheads. Kind of like Wayne's World, that, that sort of genre. But they all, I would say, go in the same melting pot of what we now know as the stoner comedy. Of course, Cheech and Chong, Peter Fonda, and Dennis Hopper were sort of pioneers in this subgenre. And you can go all the way back to the pre-code era of Hollywood with the likes of the exploitation film 
Reefer Madness, which frankly was supposed to serve as a warning to not smoke the reefer, and we all saw how that turned out. Anyway, so we watched a few of these modern examples of what could be considered stoner humor. We watched Pineapple Express, The Interview, 5050, which I argue is more drama than comedy, but it's always lumped in with Seth Rogen's other comedies. He's a supporting character in that, to Joseph Gordon-Levitt's brilliant performance as a cancer patient. And, uh, you know, I tacked on The Guilt Trip with that list, which stars Rogen opposite Barbara Streisand as his mother. Who doesn't love Barbara Streisand, right? We also sat down for a Seth MacFarlane double feature with Ted and Ted 2, both of which star Mark Wahlberg and Seth MacFarlane as Ted. It has also just come to my attention that my Plex server computer is working overtime today uh, on an unscheduled <laughs> update, and it's also trying to play some movies that some people are watching. So excuse me for this weird semi-vacuumous background noise. Um, I'll see if I can diminish it a bit, but uh, notes for next time. Anyway, we were watching Ted and uh, all these Seth Rogen movies, and what I found interesting watching all of these modern comedies is, quite frankly, how little has changed since the 1980s. Sure, on the surface these newer movies look completely different. For one thing, airplane movies were shot on film, and I half expected all these movies to be shot digitally, but much to my surprise, majority of these modern comedies we watched were also shot on film. Nice choice there, Seth Rogen. One glaring difference, of course, is there's a lot more language, violence, and adult situations uh, featured in these Seth Rogen pictures and in both of the Ted movies as well. But hang on. Hang on. Didn't they smoke a little weed in the airplane movies? Weren't there shots of topless women in both of Airplane and Airplane 2, the sequel, as well as sexual innuendos and all that other stuff strewn throughout? All of these movies also featured an adventure theme at their core. The airplane movies are riffs on the various airplane disaster movies over the years, like Zero Hour and the Airport movie franchise. Pineapple Express is essentially a crime thriller about an innocent court summons servant who witnesses a murder and has to evade capture. The Interview is a political spy thriller about a talk show host and his producer who are given the opportunity to interview Kim Jong-un in North Korea while also being coerced by the U.S. government into performing an assassination attempt on the dictator. Yes, North Korea found out about this movie a few years back. They were not happy, and they threatened to nuke us if the movie was released. Movie was released. They did not nuke us. Seth Rogen won. North Korea, zero. Similarly, both TED films deal with some pretty heavy stuff, too. Uh, the first one is basically about the meaning of friendship, all wrapped up in a classic kidnap-rescue plot, and Ted 2 is essentially a road trip movie that deals with the high concepts of civil rights and what it means to be human. Oh, and there's just a lot of drug use. They've got drugs all over these movies. But to me, 
the more recent comedies seem to be an almost natural evolution of this comedy genre. And while I might prefer classic works of Bob Hope or Peter Sellers most of the time, um, I think there's still something engaging about these more modern comedies. And I will say, <laughs> the things that engage me are not really in the cinematography or the, or the blocking or any, any way that these films were shot. Although, every once in a while, something comes around like Zombieland that has a really unique opening title sequence. Or, um, well, in that sequence, uh, they, they shot, I think they shot all that at 1,000 frames per second. So it would be an ultra-smooth slow motion uh, when it's played back to standard 24 frames per second, you know, or even 30 for digital. Um, you look at any film by Edgar Wright, you know, you've got Shaun of the Dead, you have Hot Fuzz, uh, World's End, Baby Driver, Scott Pilgrim, which is about to be re-released for Dolby Cinema this, this year. Um, these are all very creative, visual comedic works and he plays a lot with timing and the way um, that the way you can time comedy on cuts or on unique edits or where the sound is coming from it's it's a very fluid uh, visual art that comes from these cuts in the creative sound design now conversely from that a lot of other modern comedies might stick to just plain standard coverage in order to allow for improvisation. So what I mean by that is you have the camera set up, you know, just in a basic maybe mid-shot or two-shot while the, the comedian actors riff off of each other or improvise a line or, or whatever. It, it, it's, more, it's more akin to the uh, stand-up comedy that I talked about earlier or... Um, you know, more like Saturday Night Live type of thing, where you just have a camera holding on the actor, just standard coverage, you're not doing anything fancy, you're not doing any creative wizardry. It's literally, here's the frame, the actors are going to present their comedy. So some examples of this would be from directors Judd Apatow or, or uh, Paul Feig. You also have... Um, Comedian actors like Will Ferrell, Paul Rudd, Steve Carell, Kristen Wiig, Melissa McCarthy, and yes, Seth Rogen. Um, these are all just a few modern filmmakers and comedian actors that use this style of filmmaking to their advantage. And uh, oftentimes it, it provides uh, so many various gags and jokes that aren't used in the theatrical release that a second version of the film will be released on home video or on a streaming service. You could have an unrated cut or an extended cut or a director's cut. Um, good examples of that would be the Anchorman movies. They both had alternate cuts and Bridesmaids had an alternate cut just with different jokes or different improvisations. The, the, the overarching story remains the same, but you know, some of the elements are changed. It's not quite like what I'll get to. Um, with the Snyderverse over at um, Warner Brothers for the Justice League movies. That's, that's sort of a unique case um, when it comes to these director's cuts. But um, in general, with comedy, if you have multiple cuts, it's, there's a lot of improvisation, and so things are different. And we're, we're hearing word now that there might actually be an R-rated cut of uh, Mrs. Doubtfire because Robin Williams improvised so many different things. He had so many different jokes. 
course, he was flying off the handle and he was going so quickly all the time. You know, he, that's just how Robin Williams did his comedy. So it's not really that surprising that, that uh, you know, there is more material of some of his other movies out there. It'll be interesting to see if that is released and in what form. There's also a rumor that there's an NC-17 version of that movie, but the director has debunked that. It is uh, what he would consider to be an R-rated uh, version of Mrs. Doubtfire. Not sure we really need that, but um, yeah, it uh, apparently does exist with all of Robin's quirks and and improvisations. So there's some little tidbits for you. Now, when actors do improvise like this in certain movies while they're on set, uh, it, it, I, I would think it's a little bit more challenging when you have versus when you have a live audience that you can play off of. Um, these comedians do sometimes, I guess, play off of the camera, you know, or the crew. But I, I, I hear that that's probably the worst thing you can do as a film or television actor playing off of the crew's reactions because they have jobs to do too. They can't really be sitting there laughing their heads off. There's no laugh track <laughs> unless it's added in post-production. So uh, this could negatively affect, you know, an actor's performance if they're expecting reactions from the crew behind the scenes. It just doesn't work the same way. Um, another thing I've noticed about comedies now is how much longer they tend to be than the classic counterparts. And I'm talking runtime here, minutes and hours. So, for example, Seth Rogen's films, I mean, they can go over two hours long. Well, 25-plus years ago, anything over 90 minutes was considered a little too long for a comedy. But again, I think this has a lot to do with allowing your actors to improvise on camera. It uh, stretches things out longer, and, you know, if you have more of these little side gags filling in, you know, um, comes to mind 40-Year-Old Virgin, or Spy, or The Heat, or even Bridesmaids, or any, any of these films, they just have lots of gags and, you know, lots of little jokes throughout that really don't need to be in there, but they're fun, they're enjoyable. But if you're looking from a narrative standpoint, how the film is structured, traditionally, a lot of those probably would have been cut. Um, so it's kind of interesting to see now how, um, how much longer these films are and how they're allowing for more of these gags to remain in the film. I, I imagine that has something to do with television, too, because how television is, you know, everywhere. You know, we have the streaming channels and everything's being binged, and you know, it's okay. I'm going to watch six hour-long episodes of Game of Thrones right in a row, or Breaking Bad, or, you know, any serious drama. And people do the same thing with um, sitcoms. I mean, The Office, the American off version of The Office, even though it's been off the air for several years... Last year, during the, you know, the largest part of quarantine here in America, last year, the American version of The Office was the number one streamed program off Netflix. It's kind of crazy. Anyway, I'm uh, getting on a tangent here. I do think I like uh, where things are going with runtimes. It'll just be really interesting as everything is going to these streamable things. And, you know, everybody's on YouTube now or podcasts like this. You know, I, I feel like bite-sized bits of entertainment allow you to create more. So, say for instance, one of Seth Rogen's things, if it was, if it was a series, say, Pineapple Express was a series, you could do 
20 minute episodes and it would be, you know, stretched out a lot longer and it could probably allow for more jokes and more gags. And I th- actually, I think that movie had two cuts too, if I recall, but, uh, anyway, get back on track here. I think this trend of how comedies are today, it was a long time coming. Um, 1980s and the 1990s saw th- this sort of new birth of comedy, you know, of the, of the modern comedy. You know, you have Steve Martin, Chevy Chase, Jim Carrey, Adam Sandler, Eddie Murphy, just all of these extremely talented comedians just popping up all over the place. And a lot of them would start on programs like All That or Saturday Night Live. You know, just all of these programs that were on television, these variety programs that allowed for new talent to come in and do some sketches, which, of course, all of these programs can link back to things like the Dean Martin Variety Show or the Carol Burnett Show. Carol Burnett Show has some great sketches. I know I've talked about that show before on here, but, man, Tim Conway, Carol Burnett, they always had great guests, incredibly talented people on that show. And that is probably where this variety television was born. It was programs like that. Again, I'm getting off topic. Um, I guess what I'm trying to say... Comedy's been around forever. It's just like drama or horror or mystery. These staples of cinema, okay? It's not... Western, I would love to say, is a staple. It has been around forever, but... Popularity of that genre goes up and down. I mean, it was around in the silent era. It had its heyday decades ago. It has dipped way down... It's tried to come back a few times, but it's struggled. And I I guess you could argue every genre has had low points. But um, comedy is one of those genres that just hasn't gone away, and I I doubt ever will. Um, Sometimes you just have these enduring genres where some elements stay the same, and then others have to evolve to reflect the times they are currently in. And I think comedy is one of those. Like I said, all I'm trying to say here is is no matter what style of comedy makes you laugh, whether it's Eddie Murphy in Coming to America or Don Knotts in The Ghost and Mr. Chicken, your opinion and your taste matter. There will always be something there for you. Just have to know where to look. I challenge you, though. The next time you want to watch something funny, try a comedy that isn't in your normal wheelhouse. Are you a Bill Murray fan? Try Justin Long. Do you like Danny McBride? Try Richard Pryor. There's so much great work out there. You just have to be willing to look. I mentioned uh, Eddie Murphy a few times here in Coming to America. Um, there's a sequel that is out now on Amazon Prime Video. It's an exclusive there. It's called, instead of Coming to America, Coming T.O., America, like the first one was. This is coming to, as in the digit to, America. Ah, clever, clever. And uh, if you've never seen the first one, might be time to check it out. If you have, why not watch a double feature? Watch the first one, watch the second one on Prime. My opinion, the first one is one of Eddie Murphy's best performances. I mean, how many people does he play in that movie? He plays practically everybody. (laughs) He's all over the place. Uh, anyway, if you want more comedy recommendations or analysis, stay tuned. I'm going to dip my toe into this 
genre again soon. There's just too much to talk about. For now, I'm going to play pause on comedies. So next week, I'm going to talk about some of my favorite movies revolving around a giant nuclear lizard and his furry friend. Because a certain giant monster movie is being released this week in theaters and on HBO Max. That's Godzilla vs. Kong, HBO Max this week, and in cinemas that are open safely nationwide. If you do go, please wear a mask. Please observe social distancing. Be safe out there. Also, be on the lookout for... The promised bonus episode, looking into the DC Comics Extended Universe, or Expanded Universe, or whatever it's called, DCEU, uh, on film, which should be out very soon. Of course, that includes Man of Steel, Batman vs. Superman, Wonder Woman, Justice League, Aquaman, Shazam, and all of their friends. And I'm going to talk a little bit about, as I did in this episode, how we got here. What came before there? Is it worth watching all of these movies with the Snyder Cut out now? Was that worth watching? Where is it going to go? All sorts of things. So those are two episodes to look out for. Plenty more coming soon. In a couple weeks, you're also going to have a giant epic episode where I talk about epics, biblical epics, and the modern epics like Lord of the Rings and you know, how we got here and what's changed. So keep your eyes out for those. Until then, I'm Zachary Markley. I'm going to leave you with one question. What will you watch this week? <laughs>